One of the most difficult kinds of relationships to live in is the kind of relationship you have with a person when you don't know what you're going to get. That is to say, you're entering into a time you're going to be together. They're coming to your house. You're going to their house. You're going to practice, and it's a coach, or you're going to school, and it's a teacher. It's an older brother or sister or parent or whatever, a holiday. And as you're going, you're just wondering, okay, what am I going to get today? Am, am I going to get that version that is loving and supportive and has done great things for me and has been there for me? Or am I going to get that other version? That version that is angry and shaming and difficult. Uh, one of the most unsettling things is when you live in an extreme environment where you have someone who actually has done some good and loving things for you, but also has done some really destructive, hurtful things to you. And you don't even know how you feel. You think, do I like this person? Do I not like this person? Do I love this person? Do I hate this person? Do I want to be with them? You know, um, do I not want to be with them? Do I care about what they think? Or should I not care about what they think? When you're in that kind of environment, when you're in that kind of a situation, relationship becomes really difficult. What it does, if it's particularly difficult, if you grew up in that, I kind of grew up in that, an alcoholic home, you know, um, where you, you become what's called hypervigilant. That is to say, you're always kind of on. You say, okay, I got to read the tea leaves so I make sure I don't say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, step in the wrong way, so that I don't trigger and, and turn, you know, Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde, and somehow or another, their explosion is my fault. I got to hold things together. And, and that hypervigilance is something you can learn. And, and as you get older, and maybe you're not even in that situation, that hypervigilance can grow to become uh, what they call anxiety. It's this kind of thing of, I just got to always be reading my environment. You see, being in a long-term bullying relationship affects us mentally and emotionally. It affects us relationally, and many times it keeps us from not being able to have healthy relationships. And it's especially difficult when you're with a very inconsistent person who can treat you very lovingly one day, and the next day treat you like absolute dirt the next day. You know, we've been asking people, what's your bully story? And if your bully story is something like that, I just want to say I'm sorry. I get it. I lived through some of that. And, and, and I just want to say that that's a very real thing. Even if you're out of it now, it's a very, very real thing. We've been saying something about bullies from the beginning. We've been saying that learning to recognize bullies by understanding their techniques, what makes them their actual weaknesses, is the first step of overcoming bullies and the best protection from becoming a bully. So this is really a series about self-awareness and about how you've been effective and how you're affected and how you're vulnerable. And, and, it, and it's meant to be something that's liberating to you. And, and this message is particularly true that when you recognize the pattern... Man, it can change everything. Some of you may have been raised in an environment, I know this was true for me, that there were things that were deeply broken, deeply hurtful, deeply dysfunctional that I thought was normal. And every now and again, I'd go to some other house and say, wow, they don't do that here. I wonder if that's not the way it should be. And so we're going to look deeply at this. So I want to start by talking a little bit about this hard reality. Some people are just not safe, okay? Now, now, some people are just not safe. And it doesn't matter how you feel about that. Doesn't matter if you want that to be true. Doesn't matter how you're gonna work, that you think you can love them out of it, or talk them out of it. If I just say the right thing, if I just, some people just 
are, are people who, again, can one day just be the lovingest, next day horrible, just the most toxic. And some people just are not. And you know who is the most unsafe person? The person who doesn't recognize that they can be unsafe. Because in some level, all of us have good days, bad days. All of us have a good side, a best version, and others, the rest of it. And, and we all have that other side too that, that's toxic when we're tired, when we're, 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 we're in a broken place. And, and to not be aware of that, to not admit that, can make you a very unsafe person. And a person who is very unsafe can be very, very scary. So, so let's say a couple of things about unsafe people. Unsafe people, and we're going to see this, by the way, in the example of the bully we're going to look at this weekend. Uh, but, but this thing, unsafe persons are insecure, angry, and afraid. And, and they just, they blow up. It's, everything can be going fine. You think it's okay. And then boom. And, and very often it's your fault. One of the characteristics you're going to see in the bully this week, and you'll notice in bullies, is that they're easily offended. Now we live in a culture that is easily offended. Sorry if I offended you saying that. But we do. And, and here's the thing about a person who is easily offended. Many times, listen now, they are looking for something to be offended by. They are choosing to take up an offense. They are receiving the most benign statement you can make and twisting it in the most toxic way possible. And what that does is it gives them ammunition. It's there. I can use that to justify my anger. I can use that to justify my toxic words. I can use that to justify my hateful, petty, small behavior because you made me angry. You did this thing. You didn't think about this. You said that wrong. You didn't remember this. You remembered that. You brought that up. And so they choose, they choose events. Now listen, if you're in a relationship like that with a person, this goes back to the very first thing we said about bullies. That would be their problem not your problem. Now, if you're a truly offensive people person, and some of you are, you know who you are. Maybe you don't. Anyway, if you're a truly offensive person and you do something that was, I was wrong, it was over the line, you apologize and healthy relationships deal with that. What I'm talking about is the person who no matter what you say, they're going to twist it and they're going to make it that somehow or another, I'm wrong and they're right. It's just a terrible thing. This is the angry person. People are looking for ways to shore up, to solidify, to justify their anger, okay? Um, and their insecurity. Now watch this. Second thing is they're erratic. That is to say, you live in an environment that says, what will I get today? I mean, am I going to get Jekyll? Am I going to get Hyde? Am I going to get the loving, supporting person? Am I going to get the toxic, angry person? Am I going to get the up person, the down person? Whatever it is. And, and let me just say something about this. Just to parents. I don't want to put... Parents, you just need to hear me, and maybe just particularly for dads. If you want your kids to trust you, you need to be within the range of consistent. Okay, if, if you one day are super loving, super, and the next day you're blowing up on them, and 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 just you're just all over the map. Eventually, listen now, particularly in the teen years, they're going to quit coming to you because you're not safe. Okay, and and you're particularly not safe. Listen now, parents, not because your opinion doesn't matter to them, but because it matters so very much to them. And if they run the risk of disappointing you, that just leaves a mark. That's why very often they'll open up to a stranger or to a youth pastor or to a coach or a teacher, because quite frankly, it's not that they, they care about their opinion more, it's that the stakes aren't so high. That's why you need to have other good adults in your kid's life. So consistency is super important. If you grew up in a home that was not consistent, you never knew what you were going to get, um, then you were with an unsafe person. The other thing uh, unsafe people do is they self-justify and they self-pity. It's always someone else's fault, someone else to blame. You did this. You made me mad. 
you did this to me. If, if I'm upset, it's your fault. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. What can I do? You can't do anything. And, and, and when you live in this, it becomes just an exhausting emotional, mental thing. Other thing is that they're dangerous. They're dangerous to your heart, to your spirit. They're dangerous to your mental health. They can be physically dangerous. I'm amazed over the years as I've worked with different people, how people who are being physically harmed by a person regularly, routinely, will justify that. And you'll ask them about that and they'll say something, oh, you don't understand. They can be so nice and so loving and so kind. Yeah, I get that. But they also are physically hurting you or physically hurting your kids or whatever. And, and, and we just fall into this. We think that's just normal or we deserve it. it. It's just not a healthy thing. They can harm you emotionally. I mean, living in this state of hypervigilance, I mean, it, it, it is exhausting. And, and your body can get used to being there so that it, it becomes hard to learn how to, to, to turn the anxiety down. Mentally, it can just be exhausting trying to do the mental gymnastics of saying, what can I say? What can I do? How can I make them happy? Whatever. And then relationally it can be dangerous. It can get you to the point that if you haven't dealt with past pain in such a way that, that you find yourself isolating or, or you can learn behaviors and pass them on or, or, or they might punish you by, by cutting you off from key relationships. The point is, is that it can be very, very dangerous, okay? Um, um, this is just one thing I really need you to hear this weekend. This is something somebody needs to hear. The big thing. You don't get anything else. You got your phone, take a picture of this. This is the thing. It's okay and even wise to leave them to God. If you are in a relationship with a, with a toxic person, an abusive person, a person that is just bullying you and it's a long-term thing, it's okay to create some separation, okay? Because a lot of us want to save them. When we want to save them, we, we forget that Jesus already died on the cross for them. You say, you don't understand, they're not going to Jesus. Well, then you can't help them. And, and so there are times when the answer is some separation. Say, God, I just got to put them in your hands and I'm going to go over here and be whole and be healthy. Now, don't expect them to be excited and applaud and, and celebrate. In fact, very often, one of the things that surprises people about uh, what happens when they get their life together is how many of the people in their primary relationships don't celebrate the change, don't celebrate the health. Because very often, when we bring health and wholeness and spirituality into our life, what it does is it shines light on the other person's light, and they, they start saying, who do you think you are? And they become jealous, they become angry. But, but, but it's okay to say, you know what? I'm not going to be healthy. I'm not going to be safe. I'm not going to be home unless I create some boundaries, some distance. So we're going to talk about this. So let's take a look at the story um, of a guy by the name of Saul, and it's the story of a frightened man. Now, we've been looking at the early life of King David, and King David was a young man who faced all kinds of bullies. He, he faced uh, the indifference and the um, non-recognition of his father. You know, he faced a brother who just poured shame on him and questioned his character. He, he faced a, a, a king who didn't notice him and a people who didn't believe in him. And then, of course, he faced the big giant Goliath. And one of the things that's interesting about the life of David is we think that the big bully he faced was Goliath. The truth is the big bully he faced was King Saul. Because he faced Goliath for a day. He was under the tyranny of Saul for 10 years. So this is long-term pain of wondering, where am I at? What's going on? I'm not safe. And it's during that time that God had to do his deepest work in David of showing him that he was his rock, his fortress, his defender, his shield. And we'll see that even as we unpack the scripture a little bit. So here's what you need to know so far. David has, has um, um, 
uh, fought the battle with Goliath. He is now established as a hero of Israel. Saul says, who is this young kid? And he finds out, he says, okay, he's going to be one of my guys. And so he starts putting him in charge of things. David succeeds, he conquers enemies. So now David's in charge of like the whole army, bunch of the people. And it looks like it's going really good with Saul. But the problem is, is that Saul is an insecure guy. One of the biggest things that you need to understand about Saul is, listen now, he is not defined by anger, although he's a very angry guy. He is defined by fear. Fear is the disease. Anger is the symptom. Did you hear what I just said? Okay. Uh, 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 Fear is the disease. Anger is the symptom. So very often, the most angry, boisterous, most confident guys are just, they're frightened children. And so it says like something like eight or nine times in the Bible in the story of Saul, and Saul was afraid, and Saul was afraid. At, at the very beginning of the story, it says when they chose him to be king, they chose him by lot, they said, where's Saul? We can't find him. And so they searched, and they found him hiding among the supplies and the baggage because it said he was afraid to be king. Another time it said he was afraid of the people, so he didn't obey God. He was afraid of the Philistines. And we're going to see that he's afraid of David. And because he has this core fear, this core insecurity that he never brought to God, he never found healed in God, it expresses itself in this erratic anger, okay? So once again, big rule about bullies, it's not about you when you're being bullied, it's about them, okay? And so we see a frightened man. So This begins, actually, we need to go back to the early part of the story. So even before David and Goliath, Saul and David had a relationship that that Saul didn't even notice. Look what it says. It says this. Now, so now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And so Saul has pushed God out of his life. And listen, when God gets out of your life, there's nothing between you and darkness, nothing between you and evil. You may think it feels like freedom, but it, it actually is just oppression. And look what it says. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I think what's going on is very simply that because the spirit of God pulled back, all the spirits of darkness could come in. And Saul was absolutely tormented. And, and he would get angry. He'd get out of control. He was erratic. And so the people said, what can we do? And they said, well, there's this kid by the name of David who writes these beautiful worship songs. Maybe he can help. And this is what happens. It said, and whenever a harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played with his hands. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And harmful spirit departed from him. And so the spirit that was on David came near Saul. He played. He brought Saul to a good place. And he became a huge blessing in Saul's life. But you get the idea that Saul had no idea this kid's actual name because he's not going to really acknowledge him till after David and Goliath. After this story, you have the story of David and Goliath, where David goes in, throws a storm, Goliath dies, he faces his bullies. Now he's established as a leader in Israel, one of Saul's generals, and he is conquering all over. Well, one day, one day, Saul came back, and um, they returned into the city, and there were trumpets, and they were singing, and this is what they are singing. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. They celebrated the victory of David and Saul. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Okay. This is how insecure, frightened Saul receives that. And Saul was very angry. So he's riding in. He's in a great mood. We're victorious. And then on a dime, he's very angry. I don't know if you've ever been around a person who can flip to very angry on a dime. 
All right. Anyway, and Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David 10,000. To me, they have ascribed thousand. And what more can he have but the kingdom? He's going to take everything. And his insecurity became inflamed. And watch this. And Saul eyed David from that day on. And so David, who was beloved, David, who was the victor, David, who is the one who, who was, was, was just treasured by Saul, the one who sang and comforted Saul, all of a sudden became the place he put his anxiety. See, insecure people are always looking for a place to park their anxiety. And bullies park it on people they think they can get away with. And Saul is the all-powerful king, so he's going to park it on David. Now, here's one of the things you need to understand. If you go back and you read this story, Saul becomes increasingly inconsistent. So from this part of the story on, there are times he is good to David, he is kind to David, he's empowering David, and there are other times he's trying to kill David. So for instance, he gives him authority, he gives him home, he gives him position, he lets him marry one of his daughters. Okay, so Saul is doing good things for him. That's one of the things that makes it hard for people to really understand when they're really being abused in a toxic relationship is that toxic people many times will do good things for the person. And then the other time, he's doing things like trying to kill him, putting a price on his life, manipulating, turning everyone against him, isolating him. And so both of these things are in Saul. Saul's a messed up puppy. Okay, he's just a messed up person. And David is stuck in the middle of this and Saul has no ideas. So take a look what happens. It says, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house. Have you ever seen anybody rave within their house? Nothing's good enough. What did you do that? Why'd you cook that? Why'd this? Why is everybody late? Why did, oh, they're on time. Well, well, they should be late. I mean, and just looking for things to be mad about. Dads, we do this, right? We come home from a stressful day at work. We start looking for something to be mad at just so we have some place to vent. That's really horribly toxic. Well, Saul was bringing it to a horrible, horrible level. He says he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. So that thing, look at, they used to bring him comfort, used to drive out the spirit. Now he's lost that. It becomes a point of anxiety and anger. And he did uh, as he did in the day by day. Saul had his spear in his sand. And so just imagine a huge spear. There weren't many spears because they didn't have forges in Israel at this point. So Saul has this spear just sitting there. Look what it says. And Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. And so here's David sitting there and out of the blue, I don't know if you've ever had anything thrown at you, words, accusation, maybe something physical, out of the blue, said, what did I do? What did I say? And all of the blue, the spear comes flying at him. And David's in a situation, I don't know what's going on. And so David begins to run for his life. And, and, and it was a dangerous time. Saul was afraid of David. Again, you see this? Saul was afraid. Say if it was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but the Lord had departed from David. Now, now what you have now is David living in this tension. Now, David at this point God brings a huge blessing, a great um, thing of wisdom. He brings a friend. And one of the things that will help you create separation from toxic people is when you find a healthy person. And the difference is, is the toxic person is reminding you of your past. They speak the language of shame. They drag you down. You're going to see 
A healthy person speaks life in you, reminds you who God is, reminds you who God is in you. And the person who is that for David is this guy by the name of Jonathan. And Saul spoke to Jonathan and his sons and to all his servants and that they should kill David. Now here's the deal. Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And we don't have time to look at it, but these two men made a covenant. They were like brothers. And Jonathan saw the goodness of David. And instead of being intimidated by it or threatened by it, he delighted in it. He celebrated David's ascension. He wasn't threatened by it. That's the stunning difference between Jonathan and Saul. Isn't it amazing, listen now, how in the same family you can have such a contrast. You can have siblings that totally take the opposite tact on it. You can have parents and kids. Sometimes the apple falls way far from the tree. Sometimes it does. So you are not, listen now, you are not doomed to be your parents. Okay? You can grow past them. You can take the best parts and grow that. You can take the other parts and set them aside. So here's Jonathan, and he's David's friend. Watch this. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan because basically Jonathan went out and he warned David. David, you just, your dad's not in a good thing. It's not healthy. It's a really twisting and turning story. But in essence, Jonathan protected David. Then Saul's anger kindled against Jonathan. And watch the, the toxic nature of Saul's behavior and heart. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. So it's not only David's fault, it's Jonathan's fault, and it's your mother's fault. Okay, wow. Okay, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? Notice he doesn't use his, his name. He depersonalizes him, he dehumanizes him to your own shame. Notice he's using the language of shame. Not only should he be ashamed, you should be ashamed. And to the shame of the, your mother's nakedness. So what's the mother's nakedness? Basically, it's a metaphor for shame. To be naked in front of a, a group of people would have been shameful. And he's saying, you're shameful. Your mother's shameful. Everything about you is shameful. He's looking for insults to tear him down and attacking him. And so here's Jonathan. Wow. And, and who knows if Jonathan had been receiving this regularly? Actually, we do know this from a story earlier in, in, the, in 1 Samuel, when I think about it. But, but the point is, is this is erratic, unstable Saul. And here's Jonathan in the midst of it being a friend to David. Look at this. Um, l- let me tell you what happened. So there's, there's just way too much story here. But basically what happens is David has to run for his life. Saul sends armies. He puts a price on his head. And David is going to get two chances to kill Saul, to take his vengeance. And one of the greatest things about David is that he leaves that in the hands of God. He doesn't try to fix it, doesn't try to correct it. He doesn't try to seek vengeance. He leaves it in the hands of God. But what ends up happening is that he is able to sneak up on Saul and Saul sleeping. And he's, listen now, able to take that spear and sneak away with it. Look what it says. Um, And David now stands up on a high place where Saul can't get to him with the spear. And he said, see, I could have killed you. And he gets two chances to do it. I could have killed you, but I did not do it. And this is what it says. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, these words to Saul, Saul said to him, is this your voice, my son, David? And so Saul in a, in a fit of goodness, recognizes, this is my son David. And Saul lifted up his voice and, and wept. And he realizes, I'm wrong, I'm broken, I'm messed up, very emotional. At this point, you would expect him to go, oh, Saul, and just run down and give him a hug, and everything would be good. Look at what happens. He said to David, you are more righteous than I. Saul, I was wrong, you were right, you're right, it's just terrible. For you have repaired, repaid good when I have repaid you evil. And so everything's good, right? But watch the wisdom of David. Then Saul said, I have sinned, 
Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Okay? This is the tearful, repentant, I'm sorry, I know I'm bad. No, do this, I'll get treatment, I'll quit hitting you, whatever it is. Okay, I'm going to do better. You're right, I'm terrible. Uh, And then they make you feel guilty for their, it's just manipulative. You know what I'm saying. Because of my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and I have made a great mistake. So it all seems good, right? But watch David. And David answered and said, here's the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come and take it. So David said, yeah, you're real teary and everything. Send one of your guys to get the spear, okay? And then David left. He created separation. And you know why we know this is wise? Because in the next chapter, Saul is chasing him to kill him again. Okay? Have you ever been in that kind of erratic thing? You see the tearfulness and all this kind of thing. That's why sometimes it is okay and even wise to create separation. So what are we supposed to do with this? Some of you are going, that's the kind of relationship I've been in. That's the kind of parenting, marriage, boss relationship, coaching relationship. Wow, that is what I have been in. So what is, some of you are realizing, I'm a lot like Saul. I'm in a really bad place right now. I'm not doing okay, and I, I'm, not, I'm not a safe person. There, there's potential healing, deep and profound, that could come to you. So, 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 so what could we do? Next steps. First is, we can be aware of what we have grown used to and called normal. Realize, okay, that's not normal. That's not the way it should be. I shouldn't put up with that. I don't have to live like that. There's something different for me in the midst of this. Uh, next thing is you could say, I-, I could get close. The next step is you got to get close to the pain. So what I mean by that, this is counterintuitive. Some of you said, I grew up in that. I'm not in that anymore. I'm done with that. But the truth is, if you've never looked at it, if you've never grieved it, if you've never let the blood of Jesus heal it and heal you, you're almost certainly still being affected by it. it how, how I say, well, that, that, that hypervigilant, maybe you're still hypervigilant, where you're always, got, you're always on, and it expresses itself in something called free-floating anxiety. And so you're anxious all the time. You don't know why. You never feel safe. Well, you got to go back and look and say, that's where it comes from. And understanding is power. And, and with Jesus, man, you can, you can, you can get healing. And, and, and it may express itself in the fact that I don't bond with people. I, I don't have relationships. I isolate myself. You got to get close to that pain. You got to grieve it. You got to let Jesus do some healing with it. You might need to go find a good friend like a Jonathan who, who will do nothing but listen. Just nothing but listen. You know, uh, you might need to actually find a life coach or a therapist who you can really talk it through and say, Pastor gave the message, said this, it's messed with me. I just need to talk about this. The good therapist would say, okay, let's talk. And, 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 and here's the deal. You see, the problem is we're afraid to get close to it. You've ever been afraid of something like the basement? Anybody ever been afraid of a basement or an addict? And then you go down in the basement and you realize this is just a basement. It's okay. And then you get used to it. Well, that's what happens when we get close to our pain in a safe place with safe people. It loses its power over us. The next thing we can do is we can equip ourselves. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, this is particularly true for some of us who maybe routinely enter into these toxic relationships. Some of you are going, Paul, I don't have one of those. I got like seven. I just keep moving to the next one. Well, this is when you equip yourself. Two books you just need to get. Get them on audiobook. Find a way to access the material. One is called Boundaries. It's just a really important book. It's where you stop and other people begin. 
And it helps you understand what is your responsibility, what's not your responsibility. What is your problem, what's not your responsibility, your problem. Because a lot of times toxic people make their problems your problems. And you'll just take them up. They'll dump them over the fence into your yard. You'll go, guess I better clean this up. Well, it's not your deal. Okay, and, and the second book, and this is particularly true if you've got a lot of toxic people in your world, it's called Safe People. It's about how to come up with a plan, you know, um, to create some separation. And sometimes that means I don't have anything to do with you. Sometimes it means, you know what, I'm just going to establish some different patterns where I'm going to do some different things. And maybe this relationship that was primary gets less primary because what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a safe and healthy friend. I'm going to find some people. I'm going to get in a good, healthy group. It's amazing what happens when you get around healthy people. You can get healthier, especially when you know you're not healthy. You can acknowledge that. It's a safe place. It's a very, very healing thing. And then the last thing is create appropriate separation. And those books, those tools I mentioned, could help you figure out what that looks like. You might set up an appointment with one of our care, care ministers and, and just say, can I talk this through? And then they can help you find a pathway, a group, a counselor, a therapist who, who can help you work through some of this stuff and say, I just need to talk about what happened or the pattern that I find myself in, and, and I'm going to become aware of it. I'm going to bring it to Jesus. He's going to heal it. And then, then under the blood of Jesus, um, I'm going to establish a new pattern, a different way of thinking. You see, when we're in a long-term toxic bullying relationship like David was with Saul, I mean, it can leave a mark. And it takes courage. It takes faith. It takes trust in the goodness and the love of God um, to, to experience healing. Now, now, what I want to do today in, in just real time is experience some of that healing, okay? So um, one of the more powerful things that happened, and it becomes a metaphor for so many things in this story, is that metaphor of the spear, right? That metaphor of the spear that was thrown at David and that later David held in his hand and held up and said, you know, this is something I could have used to kill you. You tried to kill me with this. I could have tried to kill you with it. But I didn't do that. It's a metaphor for so many life lessons there. Um, and it's a metaphor for um, you and I. I don't know if you've ever had a spear thrown at you. Not, not maybe a physical spear, but maybe shame, maybe accusation, maybe blame, maybe, maybe guilt, maybe something that was put on you to degrade you. Maybe you had a lot of spears and, and maybe some of them found their mark. Maybe you weren't as quick as David and and. You know, you, you felt that. Well, what I want you to do is I just want you to close your eyes. Let's just all close our eyes uh, right now. And I just want you to imagine you're standing up against the wall and, and you can see that spear just being released from the hand and it, it's heading your way. And I just want to imagine at that moment, right before it's going to come and hit home on you, I just want you to imagine Jesus standing between you and that spear and blocking that spear. Maybe the, the spear penetrates him. Maybe he knocks it away with his hand. Maybe he knocks it with a shield. But, but Jesus doesn't let that spear fall because you are Jesus' beloved. And after that spear falls to the ground, he turns around and he says to me, to me, he says to you, he says, you are my beloved and you are not defined by your past. I have a glorious future for you. I could not love you any more than I do. I believe in you. I am with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And though many others in this world have lied and been unsafe, I am safe. And then all of a sudden you remember all the different versions of the Psalms, all the different metaphors in the Psalms where it says, he is my strong tower, a place I can go above the battle. He is my rock. When the whole world is giving way under my feet, he is the solid foundation. He is my my fortress. He is a place of shelter. He is my shield and my defender when the enemy is throwing shield spears at me. 
And you realize that in Jesus, you are safe. Now, uh, this weekend, we're having communion to celebrate the fact that Jesus stands between us and our bullies. So if you have your elements, I want to encourage you to just go ahead and take them out. If you're uh, with us online right now, I just want to encourage you, just go ahead, and if you're ready to have communion with us, um, go ahead. But if you're you're not ready, that's okay. Just spiritually take it with us, because the important thing is what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, not what's happening in this moment. And and so uh, with these elements, and um, it's important what's going on inside of us. And so let me just say to anybody online or here, we don't have a lot of rules about communion. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe he really lived, really died, really rose from the dead, you put your faith and trust in that for your salvation, well, then we invite you to have communion with us this weekend. And so remembering Jesus who stood between us, we were reminded that on the night before he died, Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body, my body that will be beaten, my body that will be bruised, my body that will literally have a spear thrust into it to prove that I have died for you. My body will come between you and the spear of death, shame, sin, brokenness. He said to all of us, he said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body. And then after the supper, Jesus took the cup, just a simple cup of wine. Wine represents life, the joys of life, but specifically Life that is in the blood. The Bible says life is in the blood. And so when blood is poured out, life is poured out. Jesus's life was poured out. It also represents, ironically, cleansing. It represents the blood of Christ washing over us and taking away our regret, our sin, our shame, our past, our, 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 all, of our, all of our brokenness, and leaving us behind whiter than snow. So when we put our faith in the blood of Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins and access to God. And again, Jesus stands between us and the sting of death, the, the spear of death, and any shame that anyone would hurl at us. And so after the, the bread, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant relationship. He said, when you take this, when you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in this life, evil, sin, Satan shows up in so many ways. It shows up as people who we thought should love us and at times do love us, but in other times they're just not okay. And spears are hurled at us, spears of words, spears of shame, spears of rejection, spears of isolation, alienation. Thank you right now that because of the cross, by your body and your blood, you stand between us and those spears and that nothing can touch your beloved that you love us with an everlasting love, nothing can change that. That you say, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. You do not define us by our past worst moments. You anticipate our future glory with you. And so we focus on that. We experience healing. Father, I pray for every person here, anyone who this day who recognized that they're in a pattern and they're in an unhealthy place with a relationship, God, I just pray you give them courage to take steps. Talk to a care pastor. Um, Get one of the books we mentioned. Um, Reach out to a friend, Father God. Um, I just pray, Father God, that you just give us the courage to grow close to the pain that you can heal it. Help us realize that as Christians, we don't approach that pain by ourselves. You are there with us. And so we have the courage to see that you've conquered it. 
We pray, Father, for our deep healing and our freedom in Christ that you desire to give us. Thank you for freedom in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.